Hi, this is Greg Boyson inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth Podcast number 877 with Jack Elias about a new book he co-authored with C.C. Miller entitled The Outrageous Guide to Being Fully Alive, Defeat Your Inner Trolls and Reclaim Your Sense of Humor. This podcast number 877 is brought to you by Jason Forrest, author of a new book entitled The Mindset of a Sales Warrior. In my interview with Jason, we explore the many facets and skills that are required for a salesperson to become a top success in his or her profession. If you're in sales or marketing, please listen to this podcast with Jason Forrest because his ideas are innovative, are fundamentally about improving your emotional intelligence and questioning the psychology that drives you. To learn more about Jason and his new book, please visit his website at www.fpg.com. That's www.fpg.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Jack Elias about a new book he co-authored entitled The Outrageous Guide to Being Fully Alive, Defeat Your Inner Trolls, and Reclaim Your Sense of Humor. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have a returning guest, Jack Elias, and his wife, Cece Miller, actually wrote this new book. He is up in the Seattle area called The Outrageous Guide to Being Fully Alive, Defeat Your Inner Trolls, and Reclaim Your Sense of Humor. Love the title. Jack, good day to you. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's good to have you back. Uh, the previous book was The Finding Magic. We'll put a link to that as well. Um, and I'm going to let my listeners, Jack, know a bit about you before we get started. Um, for those of you who want to find out more, you can go to findingtruemagic.com. That's findingtruemagic.com. That's his website. Um, but Jack is a CHT. He is the founder and director of the Institute for Therapeutic Learning, a Washington state licensed vocational school offering transpersonal uh, hypnotherapy, NLP certification trainings, seminars, and mentorships program. Uh, the book that he wrote prior to this one, Finding True Magic, we'll put a link to, together with uh, certification training programs based on the book, synthesizes the insights and disciplines of hypnosis. Jack's clients and students include seasoned mental health professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists, and uh, medical doctors in various specialties. Um, everything uh, Jack publishes Check out the blog, which you can at this way. It's designed to help and discover your own powerful, natural ability to live the life that you want. Um, now, this is the new book. And for all my listeners, we'll have a link to Amazon. It. It's an easy read, very quick. Just let them know. Um, you can get that on Amazon. You can contact Jack direct through that website as well. We also put up links to his uh, programs which he's provided to us, uh, webinars, seminars, things that you can attend. Now, Jack, I've known you quite some time, and you got a long history with your wife, Cece, and doing workshops and seminars and counseling and transpersonal hypnosis and hypnotherapy. What is it that you've learned from your clients 
and that you can share with us that have created really rapid results for your clients and that inspire, inspired you really to write this book, The Outrageous Guide to Being Fully Alive. So as I consider my work, the evolution of my work, based on the experience with clients and how people tend to think complexity is important and to be able to think in complex ways is important. A lot of, a lot of what contributes to that is a lot of the way, uh, the way that psychological theory and ideas about psychotherapy are transmitted. People like to talk in very complex ways and have lots of complex labels. People come to me all the time with labels for their afflictions, and they feel like they're a victim of these things, and that's how it's presented to them. And so what became quickly apparent to me that the most important thing to help people is to recognize that language is inherently hypnotic, that our our subconscious self-talk is hypnotic, that er language is hypnotic from outside or inside, and that if you get a label we're taught that nouns are things. So you get a label that is a subtle hypnotic suggestion there that you're dealing with a thing. When in reality, there are no things. There's just activity. But if you're given a label, now you think there's something outside of you, something outside of you that you have to struggle with. Whereas the, the truth is you are creating what you're experiencing. So I turn people's attention towards connecting with the awareness that they're the creator. And what are they doing to create the problem. Like initially people would come to me and many people say, well, I don't know about hypnosis or I don't think you can hypnotize me. I've been to other hypnotists and they haven't been able to hypnotize me. And I just say too late, too late. Your problem is a freestanding hypnotic state. And they quickly get that and it energizes them and it gives them hope because now it's not something outside of them that's afflicting them. They can, they can quickly recognize that they're creating this and which means they can change it. I love what you say because, you know, it literally, they've created their own hypnotic state, which they were denying they would alter as a result of working with you. And that phrase you said, can you repeat it again? Because I think it's really important. Which, what, which one? What you tell them. Oh, and they give you language, the language is inherently hypnotic. Yeah. You're creating your experience of your issue, it's not That's a thing that's afflicting you. You're, it's like you're slapping your own self in the face. Yeah. But you're being told that the pain is coming from this labeled syndrome. Well, and that's a hard one for people to get because you're asking them to look at themselves and say that they're their own problem. And, you know, we are 100% responsible for where we are in life, you know, right. whatever it might be, but from what we've programmed, you speak about expectations and the correlation to having anxiety and stress in our lives. And, you know, look, that is a big factor for anybody listening to the show right. um, because in, and it's nobody's immune from it. We're not immune from anxiety, uh, but taking this Zen Buddhist approach, which you do, and I would as well, not every listener would, what advice can you give our listeners about uh, falling into the expectation trap? And what are the three insights and get, gaining clarity about it, expectations. Because look, you know this, and I know it, and I think a lot of our listeners know it, but if they set themselves up by saying, I want a particular outcome, and it doesn't happen that way, that actually creates anxiety. 
that mm-hmm. creates stress. Mm-hmm. But people are doing that all day long, every day, Jack. That's mm-hmm. like, hey, I expect that someone's going to behave in a certain way, or I expect my business is going to go this way, and it doesn't. Um, what are those three th- insights that you can uh, impart on our listeners? Um, I'll tell you the insights, but it's more important to get the background from which they arise. So the, the, the insights are that are in the book are confusion about ownership, confusion about adulthood, and confusion about performance. And these are all just different aspects of uh, dysfunctional hypnotic suggestions. All of our thinking is hypnot- any self-conscious thinking is a hypnotic suggestion as opposed to being reality. So what you said is, is at the root when you said people and immediately take it personally. Like when I said slapping yourself in the face, they, they're going to think, oh, I'm the problem. This is the root. This book is based on a paradigm I've created called the 18 types of confusion that create all of our suffering. And, the, and we, use the root, we use the word confusion all the time, but because we don't appreciate really the power of language, we don't examine words that we should examine. And this is a crucial one. Confusion, con means with, fusion means pour together. So you get a state of confusion and suffering anytime you pour things together that don't go together. So the root confusion of these 18 types is pouring worth of being together with judged performance. Everything you just said was in the context of believing that the worth of your being is at stake in terms of how your performance turns out, how it's judged. That's a delusion. So I go to the root as opposed but that's to just- a, that is a psychological element as well as it is a uh because you're coming from a zen buddhist standpoint not everybody practices that um we know that uh being attached attachment uh to the outcome is the problem and that's call it expectation call it outcome call right. it whatever you want that sets anyone up for disappointment anguish discouragement Right. Whatever it might be. So the basic fundamental philosophy is to really understand that having those things in life are uh, read. I mean, I want to talk about energy for a second. Look how much energy people put into that. So, you know, what advice might you have about breaking the cycle? Because it is a cycle. It's, It's not just a one time one and done thing. But we need something that will help us break the cycle. Right. So, first of all, the Zen Buddhism thing, it's not a religion. It's about recognizing causality, how actual causality works. Because you have actual causality versus beliefs. And beliefs are not necessarily in accord with actual causality, which is why people suffer when they follow beliefs all the anxiety you're talking about, all the expectations, the only reason they fall apart is because you don't follow the actual laws of cause and effect. Like if you want apples, but you keep planting lemon seeds, you're going to stay frustrated. You're going to get afraid. You're going to think the universe is against you. But really, the problem is you're not proceeding according to the laws of cause and effect that rule everything. Outer phenomena, inner phenomena, mental, emotional, physical, everything is ruled by laws of cause and effect. 
And if you follow them, you flow. And, you know, the word flow is a big deal now. More and more people want to get in. I have clients who are race car drivers. They want to get in flow to drive their race car. Mountain climbers, marathon runners, you name it. Getting yeah, they also flow. they also want to hack flow. I mean, uh, Stephen exactly. Kotler has been on here. I can't even tell you how many times. But, you know, the, his whole thing is the Flow Genome Project. And then what I was going to say about that is I'm not certain there is so many shortcuts. But be it as it may, that is where people want to do it. They want to get into flow. And I concur with you. That's a big deal today. Well, Um, again, the important thing, you hear the word flow, and now that's a noun. So you think it's a thing to attain from the outside. Yeah. The, the, The fundamental, crucial understanding is that flow is constant and all pervasive. We are a manifestation of flow. Yeah. If you want to... Every time someone experiences flow, it's because they've dropped self-conscious hypnotic thinking, which is what gets in the way of experiencing the always present flow. But so if, you if think that it's is an the case, thing, that is the case. Yeah, I'm saying that is the case, Jack. But uh, so let me back up a second. The pure identification of the word flow within our context is somebody communicating saying, I want to get to flow is actually the thing that's hampering the flow itself. Exactly. Exactly. But that's that's true about, isn't that true about everything then? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's really in a hypnotic state. We're hypnotizing ourselves by the language that we use. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let me give you a visual. Okay. So we start out, um, I ask my clients, scan your body. Are you made of anything but life itself? So far, no one has come out. Anybody else made of anything but life itself? No. We're all manifestations of life. A good analogy is the ocean and waves. Waves, that's a noun. We think, oh, waves. We think we're looking at things called waves. You can't say, oh, look at that beautiful wave. I'm pick it up and take it home. There is no wave. The truth is the ocean is waving, it's activities, it's not things, it's the ocean is waving. We have a powerful hypnotic conviction that we are a thing. I'm me, I'm me this thing. There is no thing there, we are a wave. We arise, we persist, and we just It's not separate. No problem, no separation, yes. So the root one, you know, the root delusion, you can approach it, in from many different facets. One, one I said is being confused with activity. Another one is the belief in a solid separate self. That's like a wave thinking, I am independent. I don't need the ocean. <laughs> right. right. You know, so well so it's it, a it's 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 not really a phenomena. What you speak of is truth, you know. Um but so many people have a hard time putting their hands around it uh, to understand what they're actually doing to self-sabotage. Right. Um, and, and that's the bigger part. And in your chapter on dealing with the stress of a big project, now we're back to stress again. You quote the statement, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And you go on to state that this is a Zen teaching statement, and it is a, not a one-liner manual for project management. Now, we have a lot of people that listen to this show that are in management. They're, 
middle managers or upper management, they own companies. What are the three crucial things to appreciate about the laws of cause and effect as it relates to that statement? In other words, you were just talking about cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's uh, uh, the statement is how you do one thing is how you do everything. Right. Um, I think that's that in that statement in and of itself is very defining for anybody doing big project management, little project management. It doesn't matter. So that statement is a recognition that everything we we do proceeds arises from our inner construct of who we think we are. So you you might pay attention to different activities like brushing your teeth or driving the car or whatever, and you think they're different activities. And so the fa- you, you're unaware of your inner emotional posture, if you will. You think these are just different activities. You don't realize your inner posture is the same wherever you go. So it's affecting every activity. So mm-hmm. how you do one thing is how you do everything. And if you change how you do one thing, you will have dramatic change on how you do everything. When I was 20 and I was in the Zen monastery, we were all brand new. This was brand new in the, in the 60s, early, early 70s. Um, we would go up one by one. Traditionally, you go up, present yourself to the teacher, maybe ask a question, make a statement. And this one young woman, very sincere, she went up and she said, Roshi, I've tried to get up on time. I tried to do this. I, you know, she went through the whole list of the practices throughout the day. And he just heard her out smiling. And then he said, just pick something simple. He said, pick one thing right. and do it every day and it will work. Like if you mindfully, if you can keep a fresh mind and just make your bed with a fresh mind every day as if it was the first time or as if it was the very last time you're ever going to make your bed, that will expand. That inner shift that is created by making that effort will extend to everything else you do. You'll yeah, do I just, You'll just naturally do everything with it, mindfulness. You're reminding me of a podcast that was just released with Eric Mazel, uh, The Power of Daily Practice, you know, and it's the small things that lead to the big things, you know, whether you're project management. So if you shift one thing and you look at it, the other thing that I think, you know, we've had so many people on the show about is just gratitude. You know, the opportunity to wake up with a mindfulness of gratitude and to use that throughout the J. Now, now, Jack, if the listeners would like to end their day free of stress and anxiety, um, what recommendations do you have that hypnosis can help them with? Right. Uh, in other words, they want to wake up, hopefully yeah. stress-free, and they want to go to sleep, stress-free, right. stress-free and anxious. Uh, what, do you, what recommendations do you have? Um, I would, uh, I would uh, phrase it as... Uh, practicing dehypnosis you want to gratitude is based you don't want to have moralistic gratitude which means you're trying to be a good boy or a good girl and moralistic gratitude is in the framework of of beliefs religious beliefs whatever social beliefs family beliefs actual gratitude is based on what we said before is recognizing that you are literally being birthed moment by moment we're not deciding to be able to see right now we're not deciding to 
have conscious intelligence. We're not deciding to digest their food. It could go on and on. Every moment we are being fully manifest. All these millions of coordinated processes that we just experience at a superficial level of I'm here, I'm me, and I have, I can see and feel my body. That's based on millions of coordinated experiences that are being gifted to us moment by moment. So you want to dehypnotize yourself to who you think you are and what you think your life is and practice. Your, your friend is right. It's all about practicing developing habitual sanity. So habitual sanity is practicing, remembering, and developing a felt sense, not just an intellectual idea, but a felt sense that you're being birthed, that you're being given the gift of life, breath by breath, heartbeat by heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And make the effort to deconstruct all the speedy thinking of your hypnotic self so that you come back to your natural, effortless, flowing self. I, I That's that. gratitude. Yeah, I really do love the way you've kind of defined that, right? I think it's it's a good way to look at it. I remember we were talking about Joel and Michelle Leve, and I remember them telling a story about a, a monk who came over. Uh, I think it was from Thailand, and he said, what do you want? Is there anything you need? He goes, well, I want a watch because he didn't wear a watch. And I'm sure you've heard this story, but that it is like, why do you want the watch? Because I can remind myself of, you know, how much time I maybe have left in life, right? So, you know, not the time, but, you know, how much time is clicking away. <laughs> that was a pretty good one with also the, um, at the end of their bed, at the upper part of the bed were the skeletons, right? Because we're all going to pass on. We're all going to move out of this. Our finitude is something we need to look at. And when you look at all of these things in uh, context of our finitude, it takes on a completely different meaning. Um, and Jack, if you would speak with us about the, you call them the five tips of dealing with anxiety and fear of failure. Now, there are thousands of people that listen to the show, and many of them are self-employed. And I would say the biggest deal that they deal with is probably fear of failure. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's always on the doorstep because they let it be on the doorstep, Mm -hmm. right? And it depends on your perspective of how you look at failure. But that fear of failure creates the anxiety in them every day. Uh, So it's it's a vicious cycle. So I'd love to get those five tips from you. Okay. Failure is just a word. Yeah. If people are afraid of failure, they're afraid of the hypnotic associations with that word. It's just a sound. Like you, if you say failure to a person, they might go, Ugh. if you say failure to a cat, you know, they just look at you. They hear the same sound. Right. They don't mentally give themselves a hypnotic trance about what it means about them. Right. Fear of failure comes from fusing being with activity. Failure, simply, failure is not a personal attack. That's what being an, an activity the root confusion is if you fail, it reduces your worth, which of course, then you feel afraid. But failure is a message from the universe. It's a gift from the universe letting you know you were proceeding according to erroneous laws of cause and effect. If your assumptions about how things work were correct, 
there would be no failure. It, but the failure is pointing at the activity. It's not pointing at your heart. So anybody listening, if you're afraid of failure, it's because you're in the hypnotic trance thinking that failure is an arrow going to your heart and that if you fail, you get cut off from the universe. You can't recover. That's just one negative hypnotic suggestion after another. Failure is simply the universe letting you know you're not proceeding according to the laws of cause and effect that will get you the outcome you want. So it's a gift. It says pause, examine what you're doing, begin again more intelligently. Feedback, failure is just part of the feedback loop. It's part of the fun. So anybody who has anxiety, fear of failure, I want you to stop, put your hands on your heart and practice being loving to yourself and recognizing your being is not the victim of your performance. In any context. I I think that just sitting here listening to you, you know, the emphasis on the meaning we place on the word, the meaning based on what we've been programmed from society, our parents, ourselves, or bosses, or whatever it might be, is truly the significant impact. It's the meaning. It's the register of how much meaning do we give that right in life? And um, that is, is the key. But the other part to transmute that is to give it no meaning, right? Well, in other words, it's to understand it's all about the activity that you are never the target. You want to, whenever, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a momentum to habitual activity. So you said no one-shot deal. It's there, that's a yes and a no. It's a one-shot deal moment by moment. But doing it in one moment doesn't mean you need to do it in another moment. It's one-shot deal moment by moment. And the one-shot deal is whenever the habitual deluded pattern comes up, like that my worthiness as a being is a function of my activity, my performance, on the spot, in that moment, you apply the wisdom to separate the two and go, no. I'm fine. I deserve self-love and respect constantly. I deserve to be respected by others constantly and also give that constantly being to being as we can constructively criticize the activity. But you can never, there's never a justification to attack the human heart. But unfortunately, most of us in varying degrees get powerful hypnotic inductions to do that in our upbringing because our parents didn't know any better. And, and so true. I, I think it is. It, it, the cycle continues on and you're attempting with hypnosis to break it. Um, and it's stuff we can do ourselves. You know, Absolutely. even though I go to a, a hypnotist uh, and I lay in a chair and he repeats things and I hear it and I can hear it. And the question is, my subconscious is being reprogrammed. Right. And I think those are the same things. I'm not going to just say it's as simple as repeating an affirmation or a mantra. But the reality is, is that those certainly can't hurt for all my listeners is whatever mantras and whatever uh, um, affirmations you have certainly is the right there. Now, in your chapter on hurt feelings, loneliness, shyness, and feelings of failure. You give the readers thoughts on um, how to go through those feelings away and and forget them. 
What advice do you have that will help our listeners accomplish this result? You know, you're talking about shyness, loneliness, um, feelings of loneliness and feelings, again, of failure. But you do have some tips, and I'd love for you to talk about those tips. Okay. Because everybody, I think, Jack, experiences shyness. Right. Uh, Everybody experiences loneliness. Right. Um, So these these are important areas. They're, they both have a little different flavor from each other. Shyness, you know, our normal associations with that word blind us to the fact that the root of shyness is being hypnotically convinced that you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. That you have to hedge just being exuberant and just being yourself. You have to, you know, modulate that. Shy people are stuffing anger. The anger, the righteous anger of being in, of having their being insulted and restricted. Mm-hmm. They don't know it consciously, but that's our spirit knows that. Loneliness is the fantasy of what we are and where we are that arises when we are cut off from that felt sense of being given the gift of life moment by moment. When you feel yourself, when you feel your aliveness, that embodies the natural wisdom effortlessly of being one with everyone. It's not some mystical new agey thing. It's very ordinary. We're all, you're connected to everyone and everything in life. When that gets cut off, then you're constantly reinforcing that hypnotic idea of being a fearful separate self. And in the context of that, you don't allow yourself to feel the connectedness. So you feel what's called loneliness and you believe you could be alone forever. You believe, you know, that is self-fulfilling because if you cut yourself off from being alive, you generate the felt sense of what you call being lonely, but it's not, it's not a given and it's impossible for it to be a reality. It's, it's a hypnotic trance. You're also, there's also the other aspect, which is you're never, if you're lonely, that's a sign. Like people say, I I don't like to be with alone. That's a sign The intensity of that is the intensity of your hypnotically conditioned programs to self-reject because you're never alone. You're always with yourself. You can only be afraid of being alone or dread being lonely if you reject being loving and uh, 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 enjoying your own aliveness and talking to yourself in loving, kind, encouraging ways. Well, you're never you know, alone. You're always with yourself. So, be. I, my suggestion is practice being kind and loving and encouraging to yourself. And here's a powerful tool. You're talking about the self-talk that we're walking around with. Yes, it's all self-talk. It's all yeah. self-talk. Yeah. So, in other words, reprogramming. Here's, I, I, here's a reprogram for you. Ask yourself when negativity comes into your mind. Ask. And you could ask the negativity if it's a person saying it to you. It's like, imagine you're looking at the source of the negativity and say, are you too afraid to be kind and encouraging right now? Yeah. Don't say it in a fighting way. Say it in your heart, from your heart with compassion, because you recognize the negativity as a sign of suffering. So have compassion for the suffering source of the negativity and ask, are you too afraid to be kind and encouraging right now? And just relax and notice what happens. You could do that right now. Are you too afraid to be kind and encouraging right now? 
not just to me, to yourself. And afraid, meaning afraid of, if you're even kind and encouraging to yourself, where are you going with the fact that someone might be afraid of that? Well, it makes them, see, when people are being uh, uh, speedy and negative and creating anxiety and shyness and fear and loneliness, they don't realize that all of those things are the result of refusing to be kind and encouraging to yourself. So asking the question wakes them up a little bit. Yeah, and, yeah. and if people, some people, often what happens with people like they have a moment of feeling stunned and then they collapse sobbing because it puts them in touch with their heart. People who have a more rigid habitual pattern, they might object, but you just simply persist. You say, yes, I hear, I, I hear, okay, I hear that too. Nevertheless, are you too afraid to be kind and encouraging to yourself right now? Mm-hmm. And they have, and they, have, and that gives them the gift of directing them to look and recognize. Oh, yeah, I am afraid. And then you go, then you can investigate. What do you have to believe? Yeah, to be afraid of being kind to yourself, and what do you have to believe to re- to believe you have to refuse to be kind to yourself? Well, so you it's know, the beginning of what I call analytical hypnosis. Well, it's everything that you've mentioned so far in the tips are quite useful for the listeners. And I think that's what's important. And they take something from this podcast that they can apply. Yeah. Um, You know, your humor part was really interesting to me because not that long ago, Bernie Siegel was back on the show again, and he's in his mid eighties, late eighties, wherever he is. And he's a character, let's face it. Um, But when it comes to humor and health, um, he has, been the guy that's kind of proven that you know you can overcome a lot of things with humor, okay, uh, including cancer, right? Yeah, People absolutely. Who, who've been absolutely. there, and you you mentioned that our sense of humor is a natural aspect of our aliveness, and I would agree. And it's not something we have to crank up; it's already right. there, right? So, it's, what are some of the health benefits of allowing to express our sense of humor? Um, I think we know that chemically in the brain the endorphins that are released, the things that happen, uh, the change in almost everything is is massive. Uh, but we are not allowing ourselves to be humorous or to laugh at certain things or to laugh at ourselves. So, you know, we are manifestations of life itself. Life is inherently free, which is why it's inherently humorous. And that doesn't exclude grief. Mm-hmm. It's just the robustness of being, and it's here all the time, which is why, you know, people don't appreciate that every time they have a moment of genuine humor, that's the flow state. The flow state is not a thing outside. It's the flow state. It's the natural flow state of our being. Anytime you experience genuine good humor, you're open in that moment. Your being is flowing, and that is beyond just being fun. It is healing because flowing is healing because life is inherently healthy and the uh, life is, is a constant flow of inherent healthiness. So anytime you let it flow, it's healing. Whenever you obstruct it, you're creating dis-ease because yeah. you're blocking the flow. So I read an article the other day about a 122-year-old woman. She finally died 122 years old. One of the couple of the things she said were her secrets because she smoked till she was 90 
And the only reason she quit at 90 was she was blind and she couldn't light her own cigarettes anymore. That was why she quit. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) But she said that she, throughout her life, she often laughed till she cried. Yeah. And she always looked for beauty and, uh, and had gratitude every day for being alive, for the beauty of life and this inherent self-respect as a living being and taking joy and finding good humor in everything. Well, in epigenetics, even genetics, but epigenetics in particular, you don't have to be what your parents were. Uh, And I think a lot of people fall into that kind of trap, right? Now you, you speak about operating from the fearful child consciousness yeah. Or the true adult consciousness. Yes. Um, I'd love to know the differences between the two. I mean, because um, I understand kids can be fearful. Um, and and obviously, we all have at times in our lives. And much of that is programmed um, as a result of our parents, as a result of just things. Speak with us about the differences between the true adult consciousness and the fearful child consciousness. Okay, so first of all, we want to distinguish between the survival instinct and psychological fear. There's nothing, survival instinct is natural. A small child sees a big dog and, you know, we say they felt afraid. That was just survival instinct. That's different than psychological fear. Psychological fear is based, again, on fusing worth of being with activity, fear that there might be something wrong with me. And that's what happens when, I'll give you a little visual. When we're, before anything bad happens, we're unselfconscious aliveness. We're like Yahoo, moment by moment. Yahoo, unselfconscious, joyful little child. Yahoo, moment by moment. When they get inappropriately punished, they naturally contract. Mm-hmm. That's the survival instinct. But then they'll bounce back because the survival instinct is designed to push away insults. So maybe the first time you get it, you push back. But then if the person punishing you says, who do you think you are? And then they beat the crap out of you. You learn it's not okay to release and push back. So you start learning using hypnotic power to keep the restriction in place to avoid being punished, which is a function of survival. Now, what happens is this Yahoo, that's your natural true self. When you restrict it, you can't simply restrict it. The way you keep it restricted is that on top of the restriction, you start building your false idea of self, which is based on what your parents principally are telling you you have to be. But it's not what you have to be. They use the language be but it's what you have to do. So your false sense of self is not a being. It's a bundle of activities. It's an act. Who we think we are is an act. And it's infused with the fear of being punished by these giant gods. So that fearful child psychology, anytime an adult, meaning we typically recognize an adult because they're in a big body, an adult body doesn't mean you're an adult psychologically. You have the a fully formed adult brain, so you have the potential to be a true adult. A child doesn't have a fully formed brain. That's the problem. Until about the age of seven, 
their frontal cortex is not functioning, so they don't have critical faculty. They can't understand the way things really are. They can't discriminate unfair from fair. It's just whatever the giant gods do is laws of the universe. Very unfortunate. So, but when that becomes, uh, uh, those habitual patterns become rigid, even after you get a cognitive faculty, you use your cognitive faculty to go out into the world. And if you, you might have a great, creative, intelligent cognitive faculty. So you create things in the world, but you're still anxious, alone, uh, un, unsatisfied because your use of your cognitive faculty is to serve the fear-based ideas of your false self because there's a prohibition against using your cognitive faculties to go inside and unravel this stuff. But that is what people are doing when they start working on themselves. They're turning their adult intelligence towards these hypnotic delusions of the fearful self and growing your subconscious mind up. But until you do that, it's really important to understand anytime you're experiencing emotional turmoil, anytime you have regressed yourself into the state of child psychology at some level. People don't realize they're master hypnotists. They don't realize they're doing hypnosis all the time. They don't realize just like that, they can shift from pretty much present time adult consciousness to act like a three-year-old. And sometimes they recognize it, but they don't recognize it functionally. They recognize it just where they're in it. They might go, I'm acting like a three-year-old. But if you had functional knowledge joined with that intellectual knowledge, you would change it on the spot. But people typically say, I don't know why I don't know why I act like a three-year-old. But I think an emotion gets tied up with the action. Emotion so, is regressed. Emotion, emotion is so it, what I'm alluding to is if let's say it's an emotion of fear or emotion of shyness or whatever that emotion is, it's like. I've identified with, I've identified, I am fearful. That then becomes an emotion. That then gets played out. Um, And they don't recognize, Jack, how to break that. And that's what I would ask you as our last question here. If you were to leave the listeners with three key takeaways from the book, um, what would they be and how can they apply them in their lives today? In other words, like, yeah. I'm going to walk away, Jack. I want to come from this interview. Uh, great book, you know, but what is it that I could apply and take away today that would be meaningful for me to uh, add to um, my exercises, my programming? Okay. So contemplate the proposition that nothing is personal. Stop taking things personally. Recognize taking things personally is a hypnotic trance. You see, you know, everything we perceive, all perceptual data that comes through our senses, perceptual data means nothing until we give it meaning. Right. So you're not experiencing the world. You're experiencing your hypnotic suggestions about the meaning of the world. Right. Taking things personally means making impersonal phenomena be about you. You you recognize that's not true. Like if you go out in the woods, then it becomes very obvious. Nature doesn't give a F about you. And that's very relaxing. But that's the truth all the time. We share the hypnotic delusion that we can, you know, 
blame each other and we don't recognize, we don't even see each other. It's impossible to see true being. We see our idea of each other. If I'm going, you, 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 you don't have to get upset if you have practiced staying awake to the fact that me going like this, my finger doesn't go beyond the end of my finger. It's not poking you. And your name is just a sound. It's not who you are. And that when I'm saying I'm mad at you, I'm mad at something I perceived you think or say or do. You are not your activities. And the thing is, when I say I'm mad at you, that's just a sloppy shorthand for not keeping track of the activities and approaching you about let's negotiate about these activities. It's you I'm mad at. But that you that I'm mad at is my idea of you. It's not you. You're not defined by a bunch of activities you do. But we take this idea of you. We believe my idea of you is you. And then we build up, keep building up more negativity. But what a bad person you are. Well, you know, it's it's maybe a strange analogy, but it's an analogy. It's almost like building a burger, right? You got a bun on the bottom and then you're going to put a layer of a patty and you're going to put whatever you're going to do to build it. And it, it, that's what it is. It kind of, how do I want to say it continues to build, right? And some people's burgers are really big and there's lots of stuff in there and they've got to actually start to weed it out, right? It's almost like cleansing your, your closet. You know, what is all this stuff around? Because the stuff continues to pile up and you think no matter if it's a think, you think that's what you are is your stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you think that it is, it's an identification you've put on yourself. You are the amount of money you've made. You are the mm-hmm. the house you live in. You are the car you drive. You are all of that stuff. But your advice is really well taken. I'm going to let my listeners know, you know, again, uh, you're going to want to go to Jack's website, um, which we are going to have on the blog. You're going to want to click on this link, which will take you to the book uh, from Amazon, which will have the link. We're also going to put uh, some links to some uh, webinars and courses that Jack has given us, which you guys can attend. Um, Those will all be in that blog as well. And Jack, I want to thank you for bringing an awareness uh, to the audience about these issues. And then more importantly, tips on how they can deal with them, which the book is is filled with that. And that's what I want to tell the listeners. It's not just now becoming aware. It's uh, it's actually now what are the tips that I can do? What can I practice, right? And that's what the book does. But also Jack's webinars, uh, his seminars, his courses, uh, depending on how deep you want to dig. Um, Jack, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Can I give you one more thing quickly? Sure. Sure. Take your phone yeah. and create, create, a, create a file on your phone that says you deserve your love and respect as much as anyone in the universe. And so that you see that every time you open up your phone. That's a, that's a teaching of the Buddha. You deserve your own love and respect as much as anyone in the universe. And that includes the Buddhas. You deserve love and your love and respect as much as anyone in the universe. We learn through habituation. So if you 
every day. Just, you know, see that takes five seconds, but you do it like say a hundred times a day, day by day, it will change you. Guaranteed. Most definite, I guarantee you it will. As you were speaking, I, um, a thought came in, uh, which they frequently do when you're doing <laughs> these interviews, which they're, you know, look, I'm almost at 900 of these interviews. But I remember going and listening to the Dalai Lama, right? And, you know, we talked about humor. We talked about shyness. We talked about uh, being afraid. And when you sit in the essence of the energy of someone like that and you see no fear, you see tons of humor. Ha, 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 Everything is ha, 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 right? It's like you've now kind of, I don't want to say disassociated yourself with the words that we've, cre- as you're saying, have created these uh, these nouns and these adjectives that are kind of describing uh, what we have put around as a framework. And you now come to the essence of what it is to be alive. Um, and I think that's what your book does. You know, you, you call it the outrageous guide to being fully alive. That is what it is. And it's freeing. I'll just tell my listeners that it is freeing. And it is a state of consciousness that you can have all the time. Now, in the Western world, maybe a little bit more challenging than other places in the world, but we, because we've programmed ourselves around Western ideology, what it's supposed to be. Um, But that is kind of my summation of where this book lands and where Jack lands and where you can go. And Jack, namaste to you. Thank you for being on the show again and bringing some of your wisdom and insights and uh, I think I, my listeners definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This podcast, number 877, has been brought to you by Marianne O'Brien, author of a new book entitled The Elevated Communicator, How to Master Your Style and Strengthen Well-Being at Work. In my interview with Marianne, we talk about how we communicate when we're stressed and how we know we can communicate when we're at our best. The better we understand that what drives us, how we impact others, and how our well-being affects our communication, the faster we can build healthy, successful, and satisfying work lives. If you want to learn more about Marianne O'Brien and her new book, please visit her website at www.conscious-company.com. That's www.conscious-company.com. Tune in for more great podcasts from Inside Personal Growth, and thanks for listening.